in the blood. We haven't sang that one in a long time. I haven't heard it, so I found it here. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the Oh, 
Amen. We'll go ahead and change the order of our service up again here. Let's keep it in the same key, Brother Matt. Let's sing that song, uh, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power. Uh, I think that's a, a fitting song this evening to sing before we take our prayer requests. Because uh, I know it won't ever lose its power. It hasn't, and it won't ever. So, the blood that Jesus shed for
continue to play that softly, Brother Matt. We just want to uh, turn some needs over to the Lord this evening. Uh, we have many who are not with us uh, due to traveling and just some general seasonal sickness. And I know there's a few that are sick from uh, the camp. There's been some sickness breakout from the camp that was just happening. So we want to remember them. Um, I have a prayer request here to uh, please remember uh, Sister Grace. Uh, she's needing a touch in her body, so we just want to remember her. Um, I also have a prayer request here for the Ashdowns who are sick. I believe they were also at the camp as well, so we just want to remember them. Uh, also, little Henry Coffey, um, I have a prayer request here for him, so we just want to remember him. And also a prayer request here from uh, Jeremy Reynolds. Um, asking for uh, Nathaniel Reynolds, uh, who's at home at the Clayvilles with a fever and uh, allergies as well. So we just want to uh, remember that need as well. So uh, that's all the prayer requests I have written down that are known. So we just want to uh, just take these needs to the Lord and any unspoken prayer requests as well, uh, just by the lifting of your hand. Also, um, just I don't have a prayer request here. He didn't tell me to, but I'm going to ask you all to Please remember Dad as well, um, so just continue to remember him. And if I could um, have Brother Chris come up and pray at this time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to come to your house tonight. Father, we've heard the needs that have been brought before your throne. There are many that are sick, some that are traveling, Father. Lord, I ask that you would reach down and touch each one. Lord, provide a healing touch. Lord, as your scripture says, that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much, and we have more than two or three gathered in your name here. So, Lord, we lift each one of them up and just ask that you would be merciful to each one. Father, be with our pastor tonight. Lord, as he brings forth the word, Lord, our desire is that you would reveal yourself to us tonight in a deeper way and draw us deeper into your embrace. Lord, we thank you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may have your seats. We do have lots of visitors here this evening, it looks like. I'm seeing uh, some new faces uh, that I don't fully recognize, so we just want to welcome you. Um, we also have two very special guests, all the way from Holland. Uh, they were at the camp, and it's uh, Noah and Tysus. Tys. Thanks. Okay, I knew I was going to mess that up, so I apologize. Uh, so we just want to welcome you guys to the service this evening. Um, let's sing that song uh, just as we take a few moments before Brother Barry comes. Healing is here. Brother Matt was playing that earlier this evening and uh, just uh, came on my heart to sing it again. So healing is
sing this as Brother Barry comes this evening. So open our eyes, Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather in your house, Lord. We don't say that lightly. We don't say that, Lord, in a just a ceremonial way because it's a church service and we're gathered in this place. But Lord, to be gathered in your name with your people, the purchase of the blood of cross, of the cross of Christ, and to be gathered, Lord, under the hearing of the word in the day when the token is required. Lord, we feel like a very privileged people. People, Lord, who are smitten by the soberness of the hour, I pray, dear God, now you would just reach down, Lord, captivate our hearts, captivate our minds, Lord. May we focus upon the things that are important. And, Lord, may we just give you worship and praise, Lord, as you deserve tonight.
We commit our every need to you, Lord Jesus. And there are several requests that have already been mentioned, Lord, and we certainly present them before you again in faith, Lord. We think of Henry tonight, Father, and just ask that you would bless him and touch him, Lord. Bring healing to his body. He has suffered long, and Lord, we place him into your care now and lift him up before the throne of grace. We curse that affliction, Lord, because we know it does not come from your presence. It comes from somewhere else. And Lord Jesus, we're praying that the Holy Spirit now would move, Lord, in that home and minister to him mightily, we pray. We know you're a God who can turn things around. And we're appealing to you, Lord, not because we have a right to, but because, Lord, you told us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. We bless your name. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of anything that might hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. And have your way among us tonight, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, let's take your Bibles while you're, uh, while you're standing. Musicians, thank you. If you can put up our first screen there. We'll ask you to turn to the first scripture there, if you don't mind. And we're going to title this this evening, The Fog of War. When you have it, say amen. When you have the title, or when you have your scriptures, just say amen. While you're standing, I'd like to wish Ethan a happy birthday. Sorry, buddy, missed it Monday, right? How old were you on Monday? 18. Wow. You tell your father, I said, he's getting old. Okay, not your mother. <clears throat> well, has everybody got the scripture? It's lost in the fog, isn't it? The fog of war. Yes, I did that on purpose. Ephesians chapter 6. You guys from Holland? Welcome. Welcome in. Sir Gut. All right, let's, uh, let's have a reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You guys speak German, right? No. Okay. Well, welcome to HBT. Good to see somebody who doesn't have a case of PCV, which is post-camp virus. Good to have you here. Finally, my brethren, verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The whole armor of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. He says the same thing. Take on the whole armor of God. Because in the evil day, you're going to need to stand. And you're going to need everything that God gives you to protect yourself and defend yourself in that hour. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So these are the elements now of this armor he's talking about. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And as for me, that utterance might be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. 
for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. Good to be back in the house of the Lord. Certainly good to be with you uh, tonight. And uh, we appreciate uh, the the service uh, over the last uh, over the last weekend here and uh, I'm looking for a microphone and <clears throat> we don't have one so here's one here the green one so brother Tim come on up here we're going to ask you to do a very quick testimony here of your report from the doctor because brother Tim came over here again to go back to the doctor to get a report after the cancer surgery that he had and he is here. He went this week. He has the report. I have the report. I want you to tell you what. I want you to share what's happened. Praise now, the Lord. I was going to say this. I had to apologize to Brother Tim uh, before service in a way because I said, you know, I just treat you like home folks. And he said, HBT is my home. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. This is my home. <laughs> <laughs> So we thank God for his grace and mercy, and uh, it's a privilege to be here and stand here again and together praise the name of the Lord for his goodness. Amen. Next month will be a year since our, I did the surgery, and so we went back home and we came back. I came back, and last week I was at the hospital to see for some lab tests and things, and so they did that, and today I went in with Brother Aaron to see the doctor, and he said, everything is good. Amen. All is well. So we praise the name of the Lord. Thank you very much, Pastor. God bless you. <clears throat> Wonderful. Brother Aaron is at, uh, in Gastonia preaching tonight, so he's uh, not here with us. Good to have the Reynolds here. I heard the Reynolds name and... Uh, uh, Brother uh, Mitchell was talking like you were here, and I didn't know you were here. Good to have you here. God bless you. Uh, I also want to say it's good to have Brother Keith here, wherever he is. Uh, had a, certainly had a rough weekend since uh, uh, the end of last week, and we appreciate uh, the Lord undertaking for him. I believe that he did, and uh, he's still undergoing treatment and so forth with his doctor. Got to see the specialist, and uh, so if you don't mind, continue to remember uh, Brother Keith, in your prayers. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to just respond to this. I, I don't know uh, who, who sent this in. Somebody sent this in and uh, got it to me in my office. And uh, the question was this. I have a concern about having the prophet's picture in church, as you mentioned in a previous service. Now look around. We do not have pictures of William Branham in church because I don't want anybody to get confused in any way that we, should, we worship anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? There are no pictures of Brother Branham in this assembly here. Did Brother Branham actually said that having his picture in his church will make people worship him? And what did the prophet say about Brother Branham's picture and the pillar of fire? So Brother Branham often talked about the, uh, the pillar of fire picture because it was uh, a picture that was certified by the FBI as having light strike the lens, and there was actually a light there in that picture. That picture, the original, hangs in the, uh, in the um, 
uh, Library of Congress in D.C. You can still go see it. It is the most often requested picture to see in the Library of Congress, and you can still go see the original picture. You have to go through a couple of steps, fill out a form and so forth, but you can still actually go see it there. Brother Branham tried to get his name disassociated with Branham Tabernacle because he did not want to have people uh, feel like he had started some organization or some church and follow his name and so forth. He actually tried to disassociate his name from that, but the foundation had already been started in the name of uh, Branham Tabernacle, and that's where convention funds and offerings and so forth were coming through. So legally, it was an established identity. But Brother Branham did not at all promote having his picture in the assembly. He did not at all promote having his picture used as an object of worship ever or now. Brother Branham did not have people desire to follow him. Quite the contrary, Brother Branham said, that's not what I'm trying to do. And you'll find that in the church age book. Uh, Brother Branham clearly said, I'm not, that's not my desire to set up a really, uh, you know, a, uh, some sort of a system where people would worship me or follow me. He said they should follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that very strongly, and I know that there is a spirit associated with uh, you know, the worship of, of different people and so forth, and I have nothing to do with that. And as long as I'm the pastor here, you'll never find a picture of Brother Branham in our sanctuary because I don't believe that that's a fitting place to have it. As a matter of fact, Brother Branham disagreed, but, and there's a lot of things about Branham Tabernacle that you may not know or are not worth going into, but I'll just give you an example here. Uh, when Brother Branham had a pre-tax case, pre-IRS, okay, Brother Branham was, uh, was brought into tax court by the IRS for uh, offenses that he was not aware of, and they settled and so forth, as some of you who read the message know the story. But prior to uh, that IRS investigation, uh, Brother Branham did things in the way he thought were best. Uh, some of that stuff was not the best, but it was the way that he had learned and the way he had thought it was best. Post-IRS, Brother Branham made a very tight ship because he did not want to have things done incorrectly. He didn't want to bring any reproach on the gospel at all or his ministry or in any way. And so therefore he made pretty tight rules and formed the William Branham Evangelistic Association, which today still exists, which Billy Paul actually ran until he passed away uh, on, on Monday. And so... Uh, it was a great loss. Brother Billy Paul was a great man. He was, uh, I knew him and uh, visited with him several times. And uh, he was, to me, he was a, a really uh, a good man. And uh, feel, uh, certainly, certainly feel sorry for the family and, and the loss of Billy Paul. He was, uh, um, he was a man who witnessed perhaps more than any other human being on earth of what God did in this generation. And so uh, in the, in the uh, church, Brother Branham had trustees that had different, uh, in a sense, they had different desires for Brother Branham than Brother Branham did himself. And some of that stuff they pushed for in his church. And I'll give you an example. In his day, uh, people like Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, not so much Billy Graham, but, but Oral Roberts, and uh, A.A. Allen and different ones, Jack Cole, they established themselves a headquarters or a main church, a home church, where they built bigger and bigger and bigger so that people would come to it. And the trustees in Branham Tabernacle wanted Brother Branham to do the same thing. Build a bigger tabernacle, let the people come rather than you going all over the world to different places there. We can be much more effective, reach more people, and bring in TV. 
Because that's the medium of choice now to reach the masses. And that's what they said to Brother Branham. We, we can reach 500 people if we go down to Milltown, Indiana, or go into some town in Kentucky. We can reach, you know, 500 people. We can reach 5 million if we go on television. Do the math, right? Brother Branham said this. Even my tabernacle today, of which my foundation, he said, now the people who does send donations to this foundation has a government number, comes back to you and gives you a tax exempt on your income tax and so forth. He said it's a nonprofit organization called Branham Tabernacle. And that's normal practice. And I know that them trustees put pressure on me. Let us build a great tabernacle. <clears throat> you remain here and let the people come to you. <clears throat> he said, that sounds all right, but that isn't the will of God for me. Sounds good. That's why everybody else is doing it. But it's not the will of God for me. There's some people that hasn't got money enough to come to me. I have to go to them. I know what it is to have pressure put on you. That's just one example of a situation where those people wanted to have Brother Branham, uh, you know, to change the way he did things in ministry. However, Brother Branham was very sensitive to the instructions that the angel was giving him. And one of those instructions was, you be free to go. Be free to go. And be flexible so you're not tied down a certain way. And wherever God leads, because sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's why uh, Brother Brandon maintained that kind of a um, uh, disconnectedness with, you know, growing a particular organization. He just wanted to be led by God to go here and go there. And uh, that's what he did till the end of his days. So when it comes to having a picture uh, of, or, or in any way worshiping uh, Brother Branham, uh, that's not anything that we would do, and uh, that I think is uh, certainly not anything that Brother Branham would want us to do. So I hope that's okay. I don't know who asked the question, but I hope that's okay and a fitting answer. If you have any more issues, uh, you can certainly uh, ask me for a follow-up. And... I would say this to you, and I hope you know this, that whenever you ask a question, you can put your name on there because uh, I, I enjoy people asking me questions. And I've never, even though I have a serious face, I have a very, very soft heart. <clears throat> now, I'm going to do a couple of things here, and I'm going to wade into something uh, that I never expected to wade into tonight, but I'm going to do this uh, and just trust that the Lord will uh, pull back the reins when we need to pull back the reins here on this one. So <clears throat> we, we find that uh, Paul gives us this instruction in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll come to it in just a moment here. But uh, I, I would just like to say this uh, in a, just a very simple way uh, tonight and just preamble a little bit and say that uh, Brother Branham often said that you can uh, sing too much and you can uh, re read too much and preach too much, but you can never pray too much. That's what he said. So he raises the bar in terms of prayer, and uh, he, he's, he's basing that on Scripture where, like in John chapter 8, many, many, many Scriptures that we could use here, but Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, which actually is a theme of our church here, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. <clears throat> that word continue means to adhere yourself to something, grasp onto something and hold on to it. Don't let go. And, and, and pray and continue to pray and never discontinue. Someone was asking me about this because I mentioned it at the camp we just come back from. And uh, they said, man, it's hard to, to pray continually. 
And I, I, I was hoping that, uh, you know, to get a chance afterwards when he said that, I was hoping to get a chance to talk to him and say, you know, we're not on our knees all day because you have to go to school and you have to go to work and uh, we have to provide and so forth. But, you know, you want to be God conscious. And I, I think that's probably a better way to say it, that there are times when we get serious with God with prayer, turn off our phone, put everybody out, and we just get alone with God, go out in the woods or whatever else. Getting alone with God is really a powerful and important thing. And sometimes that's the way you, you need to get on that level with God. You need to get in that, in that place, in that channel with God alone. And, and there are things that uh, don't happen under ordinary prayer. The anointing of ordinary prayer, there's sometimes you've got to get more serious and you really got to grab the bulls by the horns and <clears throat> you've got to uh, really seek after God with all your heart. And, and fasting uh, is not a bad thing to do. And, and, you know, getting alone with God, getting isolated is not a bad thing. You can't do that with your phone, but you can get isolated with God. And uh, I, I think that I think it is an important thing for us to stay God conscious, though, through the day. And uh, you know, you're, uh, I, I like to have things in my office. I have uh, you know things there that remind me of uh, you know just uh, constantly reflecting on on God. And I have certain sayings and certain pictures of certain places. And uh, you know, I have uh, reminders and mementos of different things that I, God has done for me in my life. And I just like to be surrounded by that because I like to always be pulled back. In the same way that Brother Branham had a crucifix hanging on the on the rearview mirror of his car so that whenever anything came up either in his mind or in reality he could glance at that and realize you know what hey stop for a second stop and look and realize you know what we're only here by the grace of God and by the cross and by his blood we are freed from sin and so therefore it's a good thing for us to remember that now uh we, we, uh, I like this, this little sign that was uh, found in the principal's office in the event of a nuclear attack, fire, or earthquake. The ban on prayer in this school is temporarily lifted. And it's really sad, but that's true because when emergencies rise, that's when everybody gets spiritual, right? But spiritual people are spiritual no matter if there's a crisis or not. I want to be that kind of spiritual person. Now, when it comes to prayer, prayer is not just a New Testament thing. It goes back in the Old Testament here in Exodus chapter 30. And you can read I won't read it all. The Lord said unto Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a mixture of sweet spices. There were four of them. Stacta, Anica, Galbanum, and frankincense. And I want you to take those four. And in each of those will be a like weight, so there'll be similar amounts of each one, and make a perfection, a, a confection after the art of apothecary, and temper together pure and holy. And... They were to grind that together, make it a, uh, a powder-like, and then they would sprinkle that on the, uh, on the candles and in the, um, uh, in the tabernacle of the congregation. And when they put fire to it, the smoke of that combination would rise up to God, and that represented prayer. That was the Old Testament type of prayer. Now, those four things, and without going into a lot of detail tonight... <clears throat> Stacta was another uh, name for myrrh. Now remember when Jesus was born, the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The deity and service to die, right? And stacta is another name for myrrh, and it was an, an anointing for the dead, and it speaks of respect. So it was found in a resin tree in Gilead, and it flowed spontaneously. It didn't need any piercing or any effort or any force, but there, was a, there should be always a respect, uh, a, a gravitas, which is the Greek word for seriousness when you come to pray. It's, it's one thing to pray over a snack. It's another thing when you come into God, when you realize you're in God's presence. There should be a gravitas with that, a seriousness. 
Annika is a perfume that came from a crab only in the depths of the Red Sea. And just like prayer, which must come from the depth of the heart. And Galbanum was a shrub in the highlands of the Syrian uh, highlands. And uh, it stands for purity. So when David wrote in Psalm 24, he said, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. So God loves somebody to come with a pure heart in sincerity. And he loves them to come with the sincerity out of the depths of their heart. That's how God loves people to come. Because I will tell you what, that God does not receive every type of worship. I said God does not receive every type of worship. Just because people are worshiping and just because people are doing things what they think they should do doesn't mean that God always accepts it. As a matter of fact, there's a bunch of examples in the Bible where God does not accept people's worship at all. Kind of shocked the people who were doing it. The last thing is frankincense, which means service. And from a small tree in Israel, they made an incision and early in, early in the evening, and it just oozed out all night. So our prayers must be offered through Christ, and he's our high priest and our peace offering. And what makes our prayer acceptable and what gives us access is his atonement. So all of that combined together, and that's what God said, take equal amounts of each one, grind it together, and put it on the fire and the altar of God, and let that smoke ascend up into the presence of God. Is everybody following me? Say amen. And that's what God wanted the people to do. And I believe that when God wants you to pray, just doesn't want you to roll in in any way. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 19, uh, when they all gathered around the mountain, you remember when they chose uh, uh, law for grace? Remember that chapter? We're going to study that chapter. So you might want to read it, Exodus chapter 19. And uh, they gathered around there. God told the people, he said, before you come to the mountain, he said, I want you to purify yourselves three days and then come to the, come to the mountain. So you know what? I believe that when we come to God in prayer, I don't believe he wants you to come just any old way with any old attitude. And look, I got three minutes, Lord. That's all I got. But I'll give you three minutes. That's all I have. I got news for you. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to come with a sanctified heart. He wants you to come cleansing, put everything underneath the blood. He wants you to come in sincerity. And he wants you to come from the, with, with the depths of your heart to speak to him. Because you should realize you're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is a God who can take life, he can restore life, he can protect people, right? This is a God who controls everything. Say it with me, everything. And so therefore, it's really important that we approach God in the right way. Now, so we're going to talk a little bit about worship, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer, so just stay with me here. Now, let's go back to Ephesians 6, and I took this from the Common Jewish Bible. I want you to read it with me. I'm not going to go fast. I'm still in the mode of camp here where they gave me 30 minutes in order to say uh, an hour and a half sermon. So that's why I'm talking fast here, because it's still that, that anointing's still on me. All right, so let's slow it down. Finally, Paul says, grow powerful in union with the Lord, in union with his mighty strength. This is the common Jewish Bible. Now this is how it's interpreted. Grow powerful in your union with the Lord. I like that. Use all the armor and weaponry that God provides so that you'll be able to stand against the deceptive tactics of the adversary. The tactics of our enemy are deceptive. The tactics of our enemy are deception. That's mostly what he tries to do, is make you think wrongly about things that God says. For we are not struggling against human beings, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers governing this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Wow. 
So take up every piece of war equipment God provides so that when the evil day comes, you will be able to resist. And when the battle is won, you will be standing. Take up every piece of war equipment God provides so that when the evil day comes, you will be able to resist. And when the battle is won, you will be standing. I like that. Therefore, stand and have the belt of truth buckled around your waist and put on righteousness for a breastplate. And wear on your feet the readiness that comes from the good news of shalom. Wear on your feet the readiness that comes from the good news of shalom. Everywhere I walk, my footprint's going to leave behind a little bit of peace, not strife. It's going to leave behind a little bit of peace, not confusion. Is that okay? If my ministry causes confusion, you know what I ought to do? Sit down. Because God's not the author of confusion. If you're confused over my preaching, I ought to sit down. I have no seniority where, which says that I can preach no matter what because I got my 40-year pin. And I have more than a 40-year pin, just in case you're wondering. And take the helmet of deliverance with the sword given by the Spirit that is the Word of God. As you pray at all times, with all kinds of prayers and requests in the Spirit, vigilantly and persistently for all God's people. Pray at all times for God's people, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray for me too. That whenever I open my mouth, the words will be given to me to be bold in making known the secret of the good news. It's not hard. Any one of you could take your Bible and stand up here tonight and read it. That's, that's, uh, that's not a, that wouldn't be difficult to do. But when Paul says, when Paul prays this way, he's saying that God would, you would pray that God would open my mouth and give me the words that will be given to me to be bold in making known the secret of the good news. I want to declare the mind of God. That's what he's saying. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? For somebody to be an ambassador, they have to go and represent the kingdom. But he says, here I am in chains. So I can't actually physically go, but I can still preach. And he says, so therefore you pray that God gives me the boldness to preach in the way that God wants me to preach. Because I can still represent the kingdom even though I can't go anywhere. Hey, listen, we're still reading Paul's words, right? 2,000 years later, and we're still reading his words. We're still quoting him verbatim. Pray, he said, that I may speak boldly the way I should. I'm going to take the liberty tonight, the, the scriptural liberty, to do the same thing. And I pray that God will give me the grace to stop when I need to stop. Now, let's define this fog of war, okay? Fog of war is a military expression. It was coined by two people, a British general and a German general, way back in the 1800s. And they describe this because military people study military stuff and they have books and all kinds of theories and so forth about military operations. And military operations depend heavily on two things, communication and intelligence, to be successful. Stop. I remember one time visiting one of the Civil War battlefields that are found in Virginia. And after all, Virginia is where it all began. And uh, they, had, they had hot air balloons that they used to raise straight up, bring them straight down, just so they put a a guy in the basket, and they would raise him up, and he'd get a view of what, where the enemy, where they actually were. Were they there? Were they there? Or were they there? 
and they would uh, shoot that balloon up just, you know, softly, quietly, because balloons don't make a lot of noise, and sent them up, and then they would bring them right down, because if not, they would shoot them down. So they had to send the guy up, and the whole purpose was to gain insight into where that enemy actually was. And so military operations, successful completion depend on communication and intelligence. When one or both of these elements become compromised, the result is often called the fog of war. And this phrase encompasses all the confusions and miscalculations that can occur during an actual combat situation. So one of the problems with the fog of war is that sometimes you think you're shooting at an enemy and you're really not, you're shooting at your own, and therefore many people in war are killed by friendly fire. So if you remember the story of Stonewall Jackson, he was shot by one of his own soldiers. Uh, they were southern soldiers, and uh, because uh, uh, Stonewall Jackson was across the line uh, probing over there, and then he rode back on his horse, and they thought uh, one of the soldiers thought that it was an enemy soldier coming across on his horse and shot Stonewall Jackson and uh, shot him in the shoulder. And uh, <clears throat> they uh, amputated his shoulder in an effort to try to save him, and uh, when they did, they uh, they uh, figured out very quickly that, you know, we're probably not going to save him here in a camp in the field, and so therefore we're going to need to send him down to Richmond. So they uh, bundled him up, they packaged him up, bandaged his arm, put him on a stagecoach and sent him down to the nearest railroad track and put him on a train for Richmond. And after he got to Richmond a couple of days later, he died. The problem was is that after he died, his arm that they had amputated was still in the camp. Right? The surgeons had removed his arm, was still in the camp. And so they said, hey, what are we going to do with his arm? And somebody said, well, we should bury it. And they said, we're not going to send it back to Richmond, so we're going to bury it. So they went to a farmer, and and they asked the farmer, they said, hey, is it all right? We got Stonewall Jackson's arm. We need to give it a proper burial. This is all true. And they said, we need to give it a proper burial. So he said, hey, yeah, listen, take a little corner of my field, the very end of the field. He said, take a little corner. And he said, clear you out a spot and bury the arm right there. They did, and they put a marker there. Here lies Stonewall Jackson's arm. Some of you are laughing at me. That is true. And they, they, uh, they, they buried his arm right there with the marker. The marker is still there. And after the war, the American government came in and purchased that piece of land from that farmer. And it is still in the possession of the American government. Now, you're a real Civil War buff whenever you can say you have been to the place where Stonewall Jackson's arm has been buried. I know of only one person who's been there. Let me go on. Many people are killed by friendly fire, because that has nothing to do with anything. Troops may be positioned on the battlefield according to a master plan, but those positions could change without warning during the actual battle. So, in other words, if your field, if your field of battle looks like this, and you think, well, you know what? It looks like they're over there. I remember that big tree uh, in the center of the screen there. I remember they were over there. But you know, fog moves. And you can imagine how difficult it must be in the heat of battle to try to keep track of where everybody is. And so this is a, a situation that battlefield commanders often face because they don't always exactly know where their own troops are as well as the enemy troops because they're moving all the time as well. So the results of these unplanned movements can be catastrophic as friendly forces fail to recognize their comrades or target positions thought to be clear friendly troops. Think spiritual now for a minute. In the fog of war, in the last days we live in, in a sense, in a sense, I'm just going to throw this out to you, we tend to be a little bit spoiled. 
We kind of think, oh, we're the bride. Hey, we're going to make it in. You know what? No problem with us. We're predestinated. And then all of a sudden we realize, whoa, something's happened. Or there's confusion. Or there's something being said that I don't understand. Or there's maybe a division. All of a sudden we realize, hey, things just got a little bit foggy. Because it's not so clear as it once was. I will tell you something. The fog of war is a real thing among the bride of Christ. And we need to make sure that we have the two things that are essential for successful battles. And that is communications and intelligence. Not that we need to be intellectually smart. But I'm saying that it would do you well to make sure that you're communicating regularly with God. It's called prayer. It would also do us well to make sure that we're using all of the resources that God's put in our hand in order to fight the battle because the deceiver will come in whatever way he can. Is everybody listening to me? I'm not going to be long. So therefore, we should not ever, ever get the attitude or the adopt a position whereby we feel like, oh, well, hey, we can just coast in and uh, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be called upon to exercise excellent discernment in the days that you live in. You're going to be called upon to make sure that you understand and know the Word of God. And it's not just an intellectual knowing. You're going to be called upon to know the Savior Himself so that you can turn to Him in an hour of need and when you need to have understanding of things that come up. Now, Brother Branham said in The Lamb and the Dove, he said, now that meek, humble spirit that you used to have, he said, he wasn't all temper and saw blades like you are. He said, the Holy Spirit just took its flight. You started a little cult in your church, and the Holy Spirit flew away. You broke from your church and pulled up. He's speaking to to the church in general here, 1957. He said, you broke away from your church and pulled off in some little cult, and the Holy Spirit flew away. The Holy Spirit's not an author of confusion. It's to unite the big body of Christ together, one spirit, one purpose, one accord. If I understand English right, that means that if we're preaching in the right way, it should be really driving us closer together, not forcing people apart. Are we okay? Now watch this. <clears throat> Brother Branham is answering a question here. They, they wrote to him and they said, hey, in certain churches there are people who are being ordained as women preachers and the people are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And Is that okay? Or, you know, is, is, should we just tolerate that? And it's a great question and it's a long answer. I'm just going to take a little snippet out of, the, out of the answer that he gives and I picked it out for a specific reason. He said, truth can only come one way. Say it with me. One way. Say it again. You know you're really good at that? I had 450 kids this last weekend, and I had to get them. I had to go over it several times before they said it with passion, like you do, because you're practiced. You're good. Truth can only come one way. And I'm not saying that the people who baptize in the name of, the, of, uh, the name of Jesus Christ, uh, people who um, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ is all going to hell. He said, God is a judge. Or in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, He said, God is a judge. God commanded everyone that was baptized, sorry, Paul commanded everyone that was baptized any other way to come and be baptized over again in the name of Jesus Christ. And he quotes Galatians 1 there. 
You cannot make a target hit here and a target hit there. <clears throat> on the weekend, on Saturday, we have axe throwing, which is our, it's a nice Christian occupation for us to do. And we have axe throwing for the adults and axe throwing for the little guys. And, and if we say that someone hits the bullseye, it can't be two different targets, right? Can't be two, you can't throw this way and that way and hit the target. You've got to throw one way. You've got to aim for the target. So we don't have to guess where the target is. Paul commanded us. He told us. Anyone baptized any other way, let them be rebaptized. He says you cannot make a target hit there and hit there. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, let them go, they're all right. In Jesus' name, let them go, they're all right. There's got to be something that's got to hit right because God's not the author of confusion. So there can't be multiple right answers for a question like this. We're either right or wrong. Now, in our world, a lot of people don't like to say, you know, hey, you're right and you're wrong. Because, you know, we have self-esteem to worry about and all the other things there. But, you know, when it comes to the Bible, God just never, he never read that bit on self-esteem. Uh, he, that was written after he wrote the Bible, so it's not there. So he's not afraid to say, you know, like, get in the ark or buy yourself an umbrella. He's not afraid to say that. He's not afraid to say that. You know what? There's an ark of safety today. And if not, you're going to be with the group of people that say, let the rocks and the mountains fall on us to cover us in the wrath of God that is to come. God's not afraid to do that. Now, in our culture, that's not kosher. But nonetheless, God's not an author of confusion. You run that through the Bible and you find out that's a false baptism. So all I'm saying to you, I'm laying a little bit of groundwork here to say that truth comes one way. Like God's not confused. So he doesn't give us a couple of absolutes. What confusion that would be if there's a couple of absolutes. And you know what? It can get very confusing when people say something and act like Brother Branham said it. Or somehow or another make make it appear that Brother Branham said that. Or this is the way. And it isn't the way. You know what that is? That's confusion. So we have to be very careful about how that we present the gospel, that's for sure. So we thank you, Lord, Brother Branham said, for bringing the people in for your word. And it's sharp like a two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts of the heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. It makes sure. We thank you for bringing the people into the word, in, into an understanding of the word. It makes sure. It circumcises the world, the flesh, the worldly things away from people and makes them new creatures in Christ. May they be filled with the Spirit. May the Holy Ghost take them under His control. You ready? And may there break out an old-fashioned revival among these churches, Lord, that will just sweep through our communities. Everywhere on fire by the power of God. Send us real Pentecost, real power of the Spirit back into the lives of the people. That's his prayer in this message, Jehovah Jireh, 1962. All right, that last paragraph is worth reading again. May, may they be filled. May the people come and be filled with the, with the Spirit. May the Holy Ghost take them into his control. And may there, be, may there break out an old-fashioned revival. Among these churches, Lord, it'll just sweep through the communities and everywhere on fire by the power of God. How many want that? I do. I don't know about you. I do. 
Send us real Pentecost, Lord, real power of the Spirit back into the lives of the people. Got a question for you. What is an old-fashioned revival? I'm not asking you to answer it. I'm just asking the question, what is an old-fashioned revival? He mentions it dozens of times. Talks about what we need in this church is an old-fashioned revival. And what the people need is an old-fashioned revival. And he prayed often, often. You'll find lots of it if you look up that phrase. And uh, Brother Brandon prayed, may an old-fashioned revival break out from this meeting. And he said, sweep across the country. What is it? What does it look like? Is it, is it, A meeting where a lot of people come to the altar? Is it a meeting where there's a lot of singing? Is it a meeting where there's a lot of noise? What exactly is it? If you don't mind, I'd like to tackle that question. But I will tell you that we as a people, we need revival. We need revival as a people. We need revival as the bride of Christ. When we do not love him as we once did. We need revival when we'd rather watch TV and read secular books and magazines than read the Bible. We have a lot of problems among the message community because people don't read their Bible. We need a revival when we have little or no desire for prayer. We need revival when we'd rather make money than give money. And we need revival when we put people into leadership positions in our churches who don't meet scriptural qualifications. Oh my, oh me. I ain't done. We need revival when our Christianity is joyless and passionless. We need revival when we know truth in our heads, but we're not practicing in our lives. And we need a revival when we make little effort to witness to the lost. We need revival when we have time for sports and recreation and entertainment, uh uh-oh, but not for Bible study and prayer. And we need revival when we do not tremble at the word. Wow. Say it with me. Wow. We need, we need revival when preaching lacks conviction, confrontation, and divine fire and anointing. We need revival when we seldom think thoughts of eternity. We need revival when church services are predictable and business as usual. You don't need to say amen. All of these don't apply. But I'll tell you what, some of them do. We need revival when believers can be at odds with each other and not feel compelled to pursue reconciliation. We need revival when we tolerate gossip, critical spirits, and we have a lack of love. And we need revival when we'll watch inappropriate TV and movies. And we need revival when our prayers lack fervency. We need uh, revival when our hearts are cool and our eyes are dry. And we need revival when we aren't seeing evidence of his supernatural powers. We need revival when we have ceased to weep and mourn and grieve over our own sin and the sin of others. And we need revival. Folks, HBT, hey, hey, I'm speaking to you tonight. We need revival when we are content to live with explainable, ordinary religion. And we need revival when we're bored with worship. We need revival when people have to be entertained to be drawn to church. Did I really say that? We need revival when our music and dress become patterned after the world. We need revival when we don't long for company and the fellowship of God's people. 
And we need revival when people had to be begged to give and to serve in the church. I'd say this, that we need revival when we aren't believing God for the impossible. And we need revival when we're making little or no difference in the secular world around us. I read this today and almost wept. We need revival when the fire has gone out in our hearts, in our marriages, and in the church. And lastly, we, are, we need a revival when we're blind to the extent of our need for true revival. Is that all right? Noah? I'd say that's good. Mind if I tackle that question, then what is an old-fashioned revival? Is what Brother Branham talking about and what the Bible talks about different than what people will call a revival today? Ceremonies? Where? Baptist, Presbyterian, so forth, even Pentecostals just become a religious ceremony. Not in every case. Not in every case. But here's a prophet now back then, and he's making an observation. And the only thing you do is beat on the piano and jump up and down as soon as the piano stops. Blue. Go out and cheat and lie and steal and everything else. Enough temper to fight a buzzsaw. Someday, I'm going to bring a chainsaw into here, rev it up, and throw it at somebody. <laughs> to give you an example of how devastating a thing that would actually be. But don't miss his point now. Enough temper to fight a buzzsaw and talk about everybody and everything. And what he, you don't understand what he's saying now. And then go back for the next revival and, oh, thank you, Jesus, and go down to the altar. And, and you know what? There's no amendment of life. There's no repentance. And if there's no repentance and you're just going from meeting to meeting, you're not in revival. I said you're not in revival. You're just going from meeting to meeting. Not only Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, but Pentecostal in the Laodicean age. Oh, why don't you get back to what your forefathers had? Why don't we come back to the real Pentecost that sanctifies and fills with the Holy Spirit that brings Christ to us? There it is. A real revival. Put that down. If you're putting down, put that down and recognize that a real revival brings Christ to us. No matter what. Whatever it takes. Lord, we need you. And whatever it is that brings Christ to us, that, my friend, is a revival. Not that brings the biggest preacher, the most popular preacher. Not that brings the crowd together. That's not what brings revival. Money doesn't create a revival. Popularity doesn't create a revival. You know what creates a revival? Whatever Brings Christ on the scene. You want to know what I believe is the first ingredient in bringing Christ on the scene? Repentance. When you're ready to humble yourself and realize, Lord, I've lost something, or I, I, just in my heart, I know there's more, and I, Lord, I, I, I need you. I need you. So Brother Branham asks the question, that's why I think it's all right to ask the question, why don't we come back 
to real Pentecost that sanctifies and fills with the Holy Spirit, that sanctifies. If, if real, a real Pentecostal experience sanctifies you, let's stop there. Because <laughs> if I understand that right, real, a real revival is something that <clears throat> brings to life something you had. Revive. Vive is the Latin word for life. If we revive, then you know what? We may, you, and you go through a real revival in your heart, you may come to the place where you need to realize, my goodness, I need to apply the token again. Again. And I need, if I come to the altar and I've got my hair trimmed and I've got makeup on and I've got nail polish and all the rest of it and the split skirts so that I can hardly kneel at the altar, and if you come to the altar in that shape and you pray and you're seeking God right there, you know what? If you have a sincere, repentant heart, I believe God will forgive you. God can meet you right there. But at the next revival, if you come dressed the same way or worse, hello, do you understand my question? Brother Ram's clearly telling us that what we need is a real Pentecostal experience that sanctifies and fills with the Holy Spirit and brings Christ to us. That's what we need. Shalom, 1964. Now, I've mentioned this to you many times here, and I don't mean to be just hammering you with quotes here, but I, I just wanted to just bring a point to you so you can think about this. Gross darkness covers upon the people and upon the people of the world, gross darkness. So this is Isaiah 61 and this is what Brother Ram is referring to here. And it's 1964. It's the beginning of a new year and he's recognizing, you know what? Man, we are truly living in the last days and and, and you know what? There's, there's something taking place that's significant here and this is the beginning of a separation between uh, the church and the bride, and there's, you know, there's actually a going home process that's starting here, and this is for real. This is, this is a, like Joe says, this is a real thing. This is a real, this is a thing. And Brother Bram realizes this is, this is a thing. This is not just doctrine. This is not just another sermon. This is a thing, because you don't, you don't tell the people to apply the token if you're sticking around. In the Old Testament, right, in Exodus chapter 12, they applied the token because they're going somewhere. All right, so if God tells me to, for them people to apply the token, you know what? We're going somewhere. That's a real thing. That's a thing. So your only, your only uh, option in the days of, of the token, when the token's required, your only option is to either apply it or not. And the death angel doesn't come and say, hey, why didn't you apply the token? He didn't stop at any door in Egypt and say, hey, I thought, you know, I thought you were in. I thought you were in the message. He looked, he saw it, passed by. Looked at it, didn't see it, first one did. Firstborn did. Right? Have you noticed last few years, some of you around my age, that each year seems like darkness comes more and more? He's talking to his wife, a conversation that they had. Seems like as the years go on, just seems like people begin to get farther away from the real thing that they should be coming closer and closer to. 
Look out on the streets among women. Most among women. Watch the desires and what they like to do and their changing attitudes all the time. Changing attitudes all the time. Not only changing hairstyles. I mean, they're not only running after Jackie Kennedy and then they're running after Marilyn Monroe and running after this one here in the 60s. They were pretty powerful images. But he says, watch, watch their desires. In other words, what's coming from the inside. And he says they're changing attitudes all the time. And men are, men are becoming more like women and women more like men. Seems like there's no way to stop it. Hello? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I cross the nation preaching, come back next year and it's worse. And then people want to do right, but there's something about it that won't let them do right. It presses down on them and forces them, Brother Tim. Wow. What kind of spirits then are we dealing with that he's recognizing back in 1964? How's that gone? I mean, think that's still around? Where men, men act like women, women act like men, and men and women don't know what they're supposed to act like. Because, I mean, that's only going to get worse, right? Unless there's a conversion, that's only going to get worse. It's like a heavy, dark fog over the whole world. Fog of war. It's like a heavy, dark fog over the whole world. Now, when you're in fog, you don't, you don't, it's really tough to find direction. And he says, like a heavy, dark fog over the whole world seems to be just a darkness that's growing more dense all the time, smothering out what? Manhood. What happened to manhood? Huh. Take a look around. Take a look around at the younger generation. It's easy to ask the question, what happened to manhood? Brother Jeff manages a, a company over there. Some of you folks are in management, have businesses and so forth. And you go to hire people today. How's that going? <laughs> and it's coming more into the churches. And when you say something about it, they condemn you. You see it coming. Isn't a prophet a watchman? Right? Part of his job description. Get up in the tower. See what you see coming. When you see it coming, holler. Right? That's a watchman. And when you say something against it, I mean, that's his job. That's his ministry. He's wired to do that. When you speak against it, somebody misunderstands it. They take the wrong attitude. Well, maybe he's not a prophet after all. Let me tell you a story and I'll quit. I remember one time flying into Chivak, Alaska. Chivak, Alaska is 150 miles south of the Arctic Circle. It's way up there. It's where, you know all them birds that fly, right? The ducks that fly, you see them now going south, right? You've seen that. I love the sound of ducks flying. I always record it whenever I'm around it because I think it's neat. I think it's neat how they've learned the letter V. They practice it every day when they fly. Very good. <clears throat> but this is where the birds stop when they fly north. It's tundra. When you're in the plain, you can see the curvature of the earth. No trees, nothing, just tundra grass. I remember going up to Alaska, and I'll tell you the story quickly. <clears throat> we went to this airport in Anchorage. But Tim's been out there. You've been to Chivak, right? Bless your heart. An African going to Chivak. That must be great. I wish I had gone along on that and took it some pictures. 
<clears throat> and so you're up in uh, Alaska, right? You make the trip to Alaska, it's cold there. And you make another trip to Bethel, right? Bethel, not fit for human habitation, asked Lucas. And uh, you, you, you had to make another trip then on another little plane. And these are all little puddle jumper planes, like little ones. And I remember being, Tim's laughing, and I remember being in the airport in Bethel. The only thing good about Bethel, if you had to go, the only thing good about it is that they make good coffee. That's the only thing good in Bethel. There is nothing else that's good there. And I remember being standing in Bethel Airport, and when we went up to get our tickets, the guys at the counter there, it was just a little small uh, building, a metal building, and uh, it was really windy and cold outside that day. And uh, the man says, all right, where are you going? I said, we're going to Bethel. And he says, all right, put your bag on the scale. And he says, now you stand on the scale. I said, really? He said, yeah, stand on the scale. I said, ain't no way. He said, I got a parka on and I got big boots and everything else. I got my pockets filled with stuff. And I'm going to weigh at least 75 pounds heavier than what I am. And I don't want to see the number. So... Uh, you're, you're not for real. He says, no, buddy, stand on the scale, will you? And I realized what he was doing. He's, he's doing weights and balances, right? That's what he's doing. He's got to figure out where I can sit on the plane with my luggage and all the rest of it and my girth and then <clears throat> figure you know, this out. So then I look out the window. We get that done. And, of course, I gave him a number, you know, because he asked me what my weight was first because I didn't want to stand on the scale. And he just put an L on the ticket, which stands for liar, and so I look out the window, big window there, and the, the, window, the window pane's moving in and out with the wind and so forth. And then I see this guy at the end of the runway. And he's, he's, he walks down there. He's got a big parka on. And, he, and he, he goes to this little plane and unhooks the rope. And he takes the plane, attaches another little rope, and he walks back up the runway with the plane by himself. He's walking up the runway. And I'm like, Lord. Lord, you've called me to be a missionary, but I'm not that much of a missionary. My name is Coffee, not Livingston. And sure enough, that was our plane. And he tied it up with a rope on a, on a ring that was in the, bedded in the runway. So he tied up the rope and uh, just had the plane there. And the plane was bobbing and moving just on the ground. It wasn't even started. But there was so much wind that was blowing there. And uh, so he says, <clears throat> they announced on the thing, all right, everybody going flight 405 to Bethel. He said door number 17. That was only two doors there, right? They make you feel like you're in a big airport. Door number 17. So I go over to door number 17, and there's only three other people there. I'm thinking, wow. We had to do, go through all the weight and balances for this. So I'm, anyway, I'm standing there on the, on the doorway, and then the pilot comes over. The pilot is a young guy. I mean, he's not even shaven yet. He's just a young guy. And uh, I'm looking at him, and I said, are you the pilot? He said, yes, sir, come on. So we walk out on the runway, and we get out there. It's me and Brother Flint take and the pilot and another woman who's there. And she's an Eskimo woman. She's sick, and she's going back to the village there. She'd been in treatment. She's going back. So two of them get in the back seat, and me and the pilot get in the front seat. And then he revs up the plane, you know, like this. And... uh, uh, then some other guy comes out and unhooks the rope and the plane starts to go back because the plane's blowing it back. And he revs the engine and it begins to roll and he takes off down the runway. And, of course, he lifts off in the plane. My feet are freezing already. I mean, it's just cold because there's air coming in. And so we're flying. He takes off into the wind and take off and we're flying around. And uh, you can see the curvature of the earth. I mean, it's just beautiful in that, in that scene there. It's so loud, I can't say anything to him. So I'm trying to talk to him. You know, it looks like this. 
And so he hands me a set of headphones with a mouthpiece on it. So I'm talking to him and I'm saying, hey, we're, you know, where are we and what are we, what are we next to and so forth. There's nothing out there. There's only grass, right, and ducks. And so anyway, we're flying along and we're coming to Chivac. And uh, when we're, we're coming in there, way off in the distance, you can see things way off. There's a point to this. Okay? So way off, I can see the lights of Chivac just getting dark. Way off. And I'm, I, oh, I was thinking, I asked the pilot, I said, passenger to pilot, is that Chivac? And he says, yes, it is. Check, Charlie. And so uh, I realized that's, that's Chivac. Okay, good. Then I realized in the middle of the, the distance between us and Chivac was a storm blowing across the tundra. And uh, so I'm looking at this storm and I'm looking at this guy and he's not doing anything but looking at his... Uh, uh, control panel, his uh, dashboard. And he's looking at that. He's got a little book that's open on his lap, and he's looking at that, and he's looking at the digits and the machine. He's looking at the dashboard. He's looking at that, and he's looking at that, and he's looking at that. I'm looking out the window, and I'm like, hello, dude, look out here. We have a problem. Houston, is your name Houston? Look, we have a problem. I'm serious, and I'm, I'm thinking, I've come all this way, and I want to make sure that, you know, low, I'm with you. I want to be low. And... <laughs> And so he says, uh, he, he doesn't respond to me at all. He doesn't say anything in response to me and the questions I'm asking now about coming into Chivac. And it's, I mean, it's cloudy. It's really, it's snowy. There's starting, the snow starting to come and it's getting dark and it's cloudy and it's just getting thicker and thicker. And every now and then, every now and then, you, you get a little break in the cloud and there'll be a, just a little stick on the end of the runway where we were coming and there's a little red light on that on the end of that pole. And every now and then you'd see it. Not very often, but every now and then you'd just get a cloud go past and you'd get a little glimpse of the thing. And I'm trying to line up, I'm trying to line up with that thing in my seat now. I don't have a steering wheel. But I'm, I'm you know how you ever have bring a driver with you and they're driving in the passenger seat? That was me. And so it's like what your wife does all the time. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this stick and I'm, I'm you know, and I'm, hey, there's the stick. And he's still not looking at the stick. He's not looking at the red light. He's just looking at his instruments, and he's looking at this little book, and he's going, he's on the radio, and he's just looking at this at all. He's not, he's not I mean, he's so unconcerned about the conditions around him. And he's just heading, he's heading in the right direction, and he goes this way, and he goes this way, and he's, you know, queuing up uh, in, in a, uh, according to the directions that he's getting, and he's looking at his dashboard and so forth. Well, I'm, I'm I mean, it's starting to, you know, I don't need a jacket on because I'm, I'm running at about 120 degrees now. I mean, it's just, it, I'm, I'm just in a spin. And so finally, this guy, uh, he comes right down. We're getting closer to the ground, closer to the ground. You can tell because on the, on the dashboard, you have that altimeter, and it's showing that, you know, he's, he's pointing this way on the dashboard, and he's going down, down, down. And the, the altitude is getting smaller, smaller, smaller as he's going down, going down. And he's, he's, he's zooming right over the treetops then, even though there's no trees, and he's that, but he's that high up off the ground. And then finally, he just comes in. He's still not looking up out that window. He's still not gl- glancing out that front windshield. And all of a sudden, he just comes down and pff, hits that runway and just shh, glides to a stop. I'm in a sweat, but I look up. When I look up, here's that stick with the red, little red light on it, just a little small little red light. It's right at the nose of the plane. <clears throat> he turns off the engine. Somebody comes out and ties that plane to the pole. 
Because <laughs> if it didn't, he'd blow away. And he said to me, he said to me, Sir, I realize that you were concerned. But he said, I'm trained to keep my eye on the instruments, not the conditions. And I thought to myself, what a lesson. What a lesson. Because if you have your eye on the conditions, you're going to go all over the place to try to avoid this, right? You're going you're gonna, to, hey, there's trouble ahead. I'm going to go this way. And there's trouble this way. And I'm going to go that way. And you're going to avoid, you're going to swerve and you're going to avoid uh, the trouble because no one likes to fly into trouble, right? But he said, that's not the way I'm trained. I'm trained to look at my instruments. I'm trained to focus on that because that tells me the truth no matter what. No matter what it's like out there, whether it's sunny, windy, rainy, icy, or anything else, the instruments are giving me a true reading of what we are actually doing and where we actually are. And I thought to myself, how silly. And I realized, saints of God, every one of us, you're being trained to look at the word no matter what the circumstances are outside, no matter what the conditions are outside. We're being trained to listen, keep your eye on the panel, keep your eye on the word, keep your eye on the scripture all the time, because that's going to tell you the truth no matter what happens around you. Everybody goes squirrely and everybody does something funny and this church is doing this and every church might be doing this. You're not called to follow every church. You're not called to be like everybody else. You're not called to fit some sort of a a cookie cutter pattern here as the bride of Christ. You know what you're called to be? You're called to be what God made you to be. You're called to be an individual in Christ and you don't have to toe the line and try to copycat somebody else and try to be something that you're not. You know what? You need to be just exactly what God made you to be. Some of you are boisterous and vocal, and some of you are quiet and, you know, passive-seeming. But you know what? That really doesn't matter to God because God doesn't look at the volume, and he doesn't look at your outside, and he doesn't look at your brashness and the volume of your voice. You know what God's looking at? It's what he's always looked at, and that's your heart. And he told, he told Samuel the prophet, he said, hey, listen, that's what you look at as the outside appearance. And that's what, uh, you know, uh, David's father, Jesse, is looking at. And all the other brothers are looking at. They think this older brother here is a great king. But you know what? God was never looking at, at the outside of that guy to make him a t- king. He took a small, ruddy little guy, ugly as a mud fence, took a back set, not even shaven yet. And he said, there's the king. Because God knew the potential. God knew exactly what was inside David. And he was not anything like his older, bigger brothers at all. But he's just a little guy that they had to get out of the field and, and, uh, from, from herding the sheep here. Because God knew exactly what was in the in, uh, on the inside. Turn around this way. Sit. <clears throat> God knows exactly what he's doing. And God's not called you to be like anybody else. God's called you to be you. God wants you to be you. God wants you never to take your eyes off the instruments. God wants you to keep your eye on the Word of God because that will always tell you the truth no matter what's going on outside. No matter how strong the wind blows and the storm rages, the instruments will always tell you how high you are, always tell you which way you need to go left or right. The Word will always correct you, won't it? And when you're flying in difficult terrain or you're flying in darkness or you're flying in conditions where uh, you know there are storms all about, you want, something that is f- <laughs> you want something that is focused on that thing on the ground. Because eventually you want to be tied to that. That's, listen, God knows our destination. And he knows exactly how to get us there. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians come if they'd slip up here tonight. 
So here's Brother Branham telling us that there's a great fog, a dark fog over the whole world. And there's a lot of people who are caught up in the fog of war. And I will tell you something. You're not going to know how to make decisions. You're not going to need to know. You're not going to be able to know which way is right and which way is up and which way is down. You're not going to be able to know, how do I navigate through this? I never expected this. Or I never expected that. God has given us the instruction already, and I'm just here tonight to reiterate that you need to keep your eyes on the panel. Keep your eyes on the instruments. Because they'll always tell you the truth. They'll always give you the right understanding of things. Always will. What's the first word? It's not in trying, but in trusting. It's not in running, but in resting. It's not in wondering, but in praying. That we find the strength of the It's not in running, but in resting. It's not in wandering, but in praying that we find the strength of the Lord. Once again now. No, it's not in trying, but in trusting. It's not in one that we find the strength of the Lord. I have a
Heavenly Father, as we bow tonight in your presence, we just want to say how wonderful a place that is. How wonderful it is, Lord, not only to be there, but to have the desire to be there, to want to be in your presence, Lord, and not not to leave and go away from it because there's comfort in it that nothing else will bring. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I commit the people now into your hands, Lord. As we complete our week, as we go through the things you've laid upon our hearts to do, I ask, Lord, that you'd protect each one. I pray that you would heal those that need healing. I pray you give guidance to those that seek it. Lord, I pray you'd bring healing to those who need it, Lord. And there's many, many people from the camp who are not feeling well, Lord. And we think of the Ashdowns tonight, and we think of Sister Eliza, and Lord, just so many others. We place them into your hands, Lord. Father, move among us. Speak to our hearts. Bring healing to our bodies. Guide us in your perfect will. And help us, Lord, I pray, to keep our eyes upon the instruments tonight. We just want to say we love you and we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for these people that made the effort to come out tonight. And I pray, dear God, that you would meet with us whenever we gather in this place, that you'd meet with us. Bless our gathering on Saturday, Lord. Father, we just pray that your blessing rest upon all we do. We love you and we thank you. Get us home safely, Lord, we pray. In Jesus Christ's lovely name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. How many are looking forward to Saturday? How many of you that are looking forward to Saturday are also going to help out on Saturday? Amen. We love it when we have an equally enthusiastic response. The reason why Labor Day, the Labor Day picnic was such a blessing is because so many people helped. And the, the folks over in the fellowship hall told me it was wonderful to have everybody pitch in and get it done. And that way, everybody was able to enjoy the, the fellowship. So think about that, and, and we appreciate that very much. We're looking forward to a blessed time, and we just pray that the Lord will meet with us and bless our families, our time together. So may God bless you tonight as you go, and uh, may the Lord uh, be with you. Appreciate you being here tonight. Sing it as you go. Jesus, strong me close. Oh, sir, Lord.